Welcome to podcast number 148 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is February 15th, 2022, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Alifair Burke. Alifair is an American crime novelist, professor of law, and legal commentator. She's a New York Times bestselling author of 18 crime novels, including collaborations with Mary Higgins Clark. Her novels include The X, The Wife, and The Better Sister, and two series, one featuring NYPD detective Ellie Hatcher and the other Portland, Oregon prosecutor Samantha Kincaid. Her books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. She currently lives in New York City and is a professor of law at Hofstra University School of Law. She has served on the board of directors for the Mystery Writers of America and currently serves as the president of the Mystery Writers of America and is the first woman of color to be elected to that position. In 2017, she was nominated for the Edgar Award for Best Novel for her book, The X. I am so happy to have Alifair Burke on as my guest. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Come sit by my campfire as we listen to crime fiction writers talking about their flawed fictional detectives. I will alternate weekly between award-winning and best-selling authors with debut authors who have overcome all the obstacles to get their first novel out into the world. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free. Hi, Alifair. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. And how's life on uh, sunny Long Island today? Long Island. It is, uh, you got the pronunciation right. It is sunny indeed. It's very freezing, um, but it was pouring rain yesterday. My poor dogs did not get a walk because of it. Um, so t- today they got a nice, long, sunny, cold walk. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm over here on the other side of Long Island Sound, over here in Milford, Connecticut. I love looking at Long Island from uh, my beaches. It gives me a lot of inspiration. I think I dictated half half of a book uh, sitting on a jetty looking over the sound at uh, the boats going in and out and talk and looking over at, at uh, Long Island. So uh, it's a favorite spot for me. Today, um, bright sunshine, uh, cold too as well, and a uh, good day to be talking on a podcast. So uh, our mutual friend, uh, Mike Carita, Michael Carita, uh, a great writer in his own right, uh, suggested that we speak, and I thought that was a great idea, and so did you. So here we are. And I, he, I, is, <laughs> he is good people and talented people. Absolutely, so. both on both counts, and humble, too. Very humble guy. Um, so just tell me about your careers, because you've got a couple going here. And, uh, <laughs> but since the, the, the title of the story of the, of the podcast is my favorite detective stories, we've got to spend a little time with, uh, Ellie Hatcher and Samantha Kincaid. So, uh, let's just make sure we get that in there as well. So, of course. but now it's, uh, it's all yours, Alifair. 
Uh, so my many jobs, yes, I I joke that if I if I actually put every job I've ever had into my LinkedIn profile, my LinkedIn profile would probably bust the internet. I, I can never, <laughs> I can't say no to a job since I was in high school. Um, but you know, I was a lawyer. I was a prosecutor um, in Portland, Oregon, for about five years. Um, then I started teaching criminal law and criminal procedure at Hofstra Law School on on Strong Island. Um, uh, and then I wrote my first novel, I guess my first novel came out in 2003 and I, th I thought I would write one novel, have it in my office and, uh, be the professor like who wrote a novel one time, but, uh, I guess it's been 18 years now and, uh, lots and lots of books. So I still have all the jobs. Wait, what's your doggy's name? I know. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> I'm going to calm her down. No, no that's okay. Um, she can she can hang with us if she needs to. That is Franny. Franny. Franny heard me talking and was wondering who I was talking to. So I think she's a little, little confused, but she's very cute. And I have another little dog called Double. Double. Yeah. Double du Trouble. Double Trouble. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Franny and Double. Hey, listen, in the COVID world, um, animals and small children are allowed. So, you know, that's okay. I get it. <laughs> so, uh, so, well, of course you had, uh, and where did you do your undergraduate work? I went to a little college in Portland, Oregon called Reed College. Okay. And then uh, that's kind of where I got very into uh, the Pacific Northwest and where I went back to after law school. I went to law school in California. Then I moved out to New York. That's a long story. <laughs> and, and then went on the teaching market and have been in Hofstra ever since. Good school. Um, and, uh, and, of course, I think of, you know, they probably have a tremendous uh, uh, number of great people that have uh, gone on for great academic and, and professional success. But then you always think about the uh, one or two NFL football players that come out of little Hofstra. So, you know, it's... <laughs> Back when we had a football team. Oh, the really? They they nuked it? Yeah, the university president took one, took a hard one. The alumni were not happy. He got rid of the football team, uh, gosh, six years ago, maybe five years ago. I don't, I don't think it's back. Is that oh, terrible? boy. Like, if it were back, I think I would know. So, uh, prosecutor in uh in a large metropolitan city portland's no sneeze yeah yeah, yeah. so uh what, and what type of uh cases did you handle out there as a prosecutor um i was primarily in the domestic violence unit although um two of my years that i was there i was what's what they call a community-based prosecutor where you actually work out of the police precinct so kind of half of my job was being an advisor to the police and then half of it was going out and kind of working with communities to you know, come up with quality of life initiatives and how to prevent crime in their neighborhoods. So that was a fun job. Yes. I, I, I learned a lot more doing that, frankly, than I probably learned at the courthouse. <laughs> no, I, I can imagine that because, well, you have a, uh, a window seat to life and, and talk about dialogue. You can't make that stuff up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. No. And, and situations like, what happened? <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or, uh, Mr. Soon to be defendant. What, what are you really trying to say here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. Now, um, how much did it influence your writing? Oh, a lot. I mean, I think, you know, I, I was not one of those people, like lots of people like always knew they wanted to be a writer. I mean, when I was a little kid, I would say I wanted to be a writer, but I would also say I wanted to be a hairdresser and a telephone operator. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I wasn't particularly focused. Um, but, 
you know, after I became a lawyer, um, I certainly wasn't thinking about writing a novel, but I was an avid reader. So I would go to Powell's bookstore in Portland and, you know, roam around for hours and leave with my bag of paperback mysteries. Um, But I think my motivation to write was I was reading all of these um, particular like series novels and I love them, but whenever a prosecutor showed up with the exception of Linda Fairstein's novels, but usually a a prosecutor shows up in the books that we love and it just, the action like comes to a halt. (laughs) (laughs) It's like skip, like skip the next five pages because they're just going to say objection and hearsay and, um, and be very wooden. And I, there was so much about being a prosecutor that's much more interesting than that. And I got, I got the idea of a character based in my office at the Multnomah County DA's office in Portland, Oregon, kind of showing all the things that go on behind the scenes. Cause most of the time, as you know, prosecutors aren't actually in court. They're doing other things. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They can, uh, they're, they're prepping, uh, prepping cases, you know, working on motions, having to deal with, uh, discussions with, uh, witnesses that, um, uh, are just having difficulty putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. yeah. That, that type of thing. Small stuff. So right? yeah. okay, again, I just, I thought I would write one book, maybe two, you know, and it just, every single time I sign a new contract, it's like, Oh, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> yeah. You answered the muse, but before we do that, um, you, you put a, a, a nice, uh, you, you, you tossed me a nice, easy one, and that was reading lots of mysteries from Powell's bookstore in Portland. So who did you read back in the day? Uh, Sue Grafton was a very early idol of mine, um, and uh, Michael Connolly. I loved his books. Harlan Coben's. You know, I read the same people now as I'm Sue passed, obviously, but for the most part, like all the people I liked then are still writing. Um, I really liked Jan Burke's books. She hasn't had a new one out for a while, but we're not related. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of Burks out there who are writing books, but she she's not related to me. Um, you know, uh, Kat Kajuski. Does that name ring a bell to you? you no, it's that a, far back. A, that's a new one for me. K, uh, Cat with a K. Yeah, Kat and she Kajuski. She had she had a uh, no her her series character was named Cat. Her name was Karen Kajuski, I believe. But in any event, she had this great series that was kind of had the same tone as the Sue Grafton series, um, and I loved it. And it's one of the great a mystery about a meta mystery is uh, what happened with her and why she stopped writing. So I, I hope she's well, but I mean, this goes way back. I'm talking about it in the early nineties. Um, since you asked me when I was, what I was reading back then. And uh, I of course read Mary Higgins Clark's novels. So it's a big trip that we went on to co-author together. So, well, we'll get to that know, a yeah. little later. But uh, obviously, yeah, um, you know, young me had no idea, right? Uh, and you know, wow, it'd be like uh, Larry Block calling me up and saying, "Hey, John, you feel like uh, getting together <laughs> on uh, maybe uh, putting one more, uh, one exactly. more?" Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'd say, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. How soon can I be down there?" Yeah, yeah, because he's down in Brooklyn. I know he's down in the city somewhere, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Kinsey uh, Kil- Milhone, uh, Sue Grafton, um, uh-huh. Michael Connolly, either Jack McAvoy, uh, the the uh, uh, journalist, or Harry Bosch. Yeah, and now Harry Bosch, Renee Ballard, um, Harlan Coben. Well, 
Go ahead. I was I was a very early adopter of uh, Mike Connolly because uh, I would always buy the Edgar nominated books. Like as some, you know, I love Powell's, but nobody, it's not like the little indie, tiny, tiny stores that hand sell you books. You know, you're in there kind of roaming around unless you seek people out and ask them to, what should I read? Um, so I would always, when the Edgar nominations came out, I would always track down all the best novel books and all of the best first novel books. And so Mike had won, um, you know, best first for the very first Bosch book. So I was in there from book one. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I mentioned Lawrence Block, uh, but uh, but speaking of Michael Connolly, in both cases, I picked them up uh, like mid mid. You know, like five books in right. for Bosch, and about five books um, and five books in for uh, Matt Scudder, and I stopped and immediately because I realized I really loved uh, the writing, I really loved the characters, and I went back to. Book number one for both oh, series. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. And I, luckily for uh, Larry Lawrence Block, he goes way, way back. And some of his stuff was just almost on the edge of being out of print. And I was very fortunate to, to grab his stuff. And then. Uh, I, love, I love those burglar books. Yeah. Uh, Bernie uh, Rodenbar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I, uh, he stole my heart. So, uh, yeah. And that's another great series of his, too, as well. But, um, you know, uh, that's the way I read uh, because I, I I didn't want to understand. I didn't want to be um, having my mind whirl around on the backstory because of the way the backstories dripped out from book to book to book. And I, I didn't want to catch the characters mid mid formation. I wanted to see them from the beginning. And that's why I started out uh, going back to the beginning. And then when I finally got to the original books I bought, I said, Oh, now I understand why I'm, you know, where I'm at and how I'm doing that. So that, that's just me. Um, call me peculiar. Uh, well, a lot of people call me peculiar, but, um, you know, after they, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say anything, you know, there, the, the, some statute of limitations haven't run yet, <laughs> but, uh, anyhow, uh, so you, th- th- that's your reading list. So now in, 2003, you put pen to paper. How did you find time for it? I mean, what were you doing at the time and and how did you make time to to handle both a career and writing? I did. I did not. When I was in practice, I didn't write anything. I just, it was one of these like, oh, maybe someday, you know, it seems like there's a lot of lawyers who are like, oh, someday I'll write a book. Um, But I came some, I, I had an idea. Like I knew I had a pretty good idea, but I, you know, I worked so hard during the day. I would just cut, I'd work out after work eat my dinner and, you know, watch Seinfeld and go to bed, rinse and repeat. (laughs) Um, But uh, when I left Portland, I kind of said, oh, that's a long story. I moved to New York with somebody else, my partner at the time. And uh, we we relocated to the East Coast for his career. And um, so suddenly I lived in a place I didn't want to live. I had a job I didn't want to have. But I took a summer off because that's what you should do. If you ever switch careers and like, have the opportunity to delay your start time, you should do that. So I took um, a whole summer off for the first time and basically ever. Um, and so I started that. I started my book then. said, if I'm ever going to do it, now's the time to do it. I went and bought myself a computer. This is before people have, all had computers at home. Set up a little desk for myself and got to work. And I probably wrote about 150 or 200 pages that summer. I wrote a lot. But then it, t- it took me another... Um, I guess it took me another two years to finish it. 
So it was not quick. <laughs> no, the first ones never are for some reason. And yeah. uh, so, uh, and the title of the first one in uh, 2003? Uh, Judgment Calls. Okay. Judgment Calls. And uh, it's not sitting in a drawer somewhere. It's out there in the, in the wide, wide world. Uh, how Still did out it, there. Yeah. So how did it go from uh, you typing the end to where it got uh, it got published? Well, I was pretty lucky. Uh, the agent who sent it out, I think multiple, he sent it out, you know, sometimes they send it out to one person at a time. He sent it out to a bunch of people at one time, like the idea of putting it to auction, I guess they call it. So uh, multiple people wanted it. So that was good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, the person who wound up getting it was uh, Jennifer Barth, who was then editor-in-chief at Henry Holt. Um, and I, the two final offers were like, you know, inches apart. So I, I asked to talk to the people who were interested in working on the book. And, um, she and I just really hit it off. I, she was my first editor and still my, still my editor. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. 18 years together. I told her this year, I said, honey, we could have had our high school or would be graduating from high school. Now if we'd had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And her name again, and her name again, Jennifer Barth. Barth. She's yeah. She's also Jacqueline Winspear's editor. Um, she's she's a lot of people's editors, but I think those are the two cr- big crime people she edits. Yeah, and so so you know you you take the time to write something. It, it takes a while to get done. Um, you have a little bit of an auction, actually a real auction, and Henry Holt picks it up. Your uh, editor is Jennifer Barth, and um, and how much did uh, she add to that first story? Because this is your rookie story, right? Yeah, a lot. I mean, you know, I had never taken a writing class. I mean, I was someone who kind of organically knew how to, you know, I I know the rhythm of a criminal case and my main character had the same job I had. So, you know, those kinds of things came pretty organically to me. Um, And I had been reading crime fiction my whole life, basically. So I had those kind of bones, I guess, but I had never, you know, really studied writing. But, um, and, and I actually a lot of writers don't like notes. I actually like notes. Uh, and I've, I've actually gotten more open-minded to notes over the years instead of less. So, so, um, I think, you know, she helped make it a better book for sure. Definitely. So uh, at some point, uh, that gets, that gets picked up, that gets going. Did they ask you, uh, to make a series or is it, uh, is it, uh, yeah. like, okay. So which, uh, which is the, which is the series so character? My, my agent, uh, at the, uh, Philip Spitzer had just recently passed, unfortunately, but, um, my same editor for all those years, same agent for all those years. Um, he called me and told me what was going on with the auction and everything. And he said, Oh, they want to know if this is a series. And I said, um, do they want it to be a series? And he goes, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think they assume it's a series. So I said, Oh yes, it is definitely a series. And that is completely what I had planned. Absolutely. (laughs) So all of a sudden I was under contract to write another book within a year, um, which was not something I had really thought through since I had another job. Um, And I'm still, you know, I was untenured at the time, a junior faculty member. And um, I'm still grateful for my law school Dean at the time. I was like, I bet I better go tell him what I've done. And instead of telling me, like, what are you doing? You need to write for tenure. Um, he was like, that is so cool. So 
and he still reads my books. So that's I've, nice. All the pieces kind of fell together. Yeah. But then it also becomes a matter of now, um, uh, not having the luxury of, uh, a summer off. It's, uh, it's, you got the pressure of, of, uh, teaching and, and taking care of students and all the other, the endless, uh, department meetings you have to go through. So how did you find the time to, to start writing uh, book number two? Um, luckily as a, you know, as a professor, it's not the same as trying cases as a, you know, 60 hours a week. So, uh, and it's not as stressful either. So, you know, I worked at nights, I worked weekends, my summer, I don't teach. So that gives me a lot of writing time. Oh, sure. I didn't, I didn't even have a dog back then. So, all my time was my own. I didn't have to take care of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we picked up a rescue uh, a year ago. His name is Billy. And uh, yeah, he becomes uh, not a time suck. Of course, he's not a time suck, but it, it's, <laughs> it, it does, it does help me with my uh, uh, regimentation. How's that go? I, I'm regimented around my dog's uh, needs so uh, I've got to find time to write around those times. So definitely, <laughs> I get it. So uh, long story short, um, this series, uh, is, is it Ellie that is the uh, uh, main protagonist, Ellie Hatcher, or is it uh, Samantha? Oh, those are different. So my first three books were uh, the Samantha Hatcher, sorry, the Samantha Kincaid series set okay. in Portland. Okay. And then... You know, I was I was writing the fourth book, and I realized that like I didn't remember Portland very well anymore, and the story that I was trying to write, um, which had to do with internet dating back when that was a new thing, didn't really work in Portland because Portland's small enough that everybody kind of knows each other. There's, it's really not an anonymous kind of place. So I shifted gears and wrote that book set in New York. It was supposed to be a standalone, but the police officer at the heart of it is a a detective named Ellie Hatcher in the New York police department. And she kind of just stuck with me. So I've written five, um, five novels where she's the protagonist. So I kind of have the, both of those series. And, and since this is the, the podcast is titled my favorite detective stories. Tell me a little bit about what makes, uh, Ellie, uh, Ellie, Ellie, uh, tick. Hatcher. Yeah. Ellie, Ellie Hatcher tick. Yeah. I mean, She's got a backstory kind of that overlaps with mine to some extent. She grew up in Wichita, Kansas, which is where I grew up, um, and still kind of sees herself as a little bit of a fish out of water in New York. Um, but she, her father was also a detective who spent uh, 20 years of his career uh, trying to capture a serial killer um, with no success, and he kind of became obsessed, and, um, you know, Ellie saw probably more than she should have seen of, in his case files when she was just a little kid. Um, and then he died when she was very young, supposedly by suicide. Um, but it's something that she, she has never believed that it was. And so she's kind of haunted by this mystery of her own and her backstory that finds its way kind of into the books. It's sort of the series arc as opposed to any single novel. Um, and then she lives in New York and she has this brother who is still trying to be a rock star, but works as a bouncer in a strip club. So <laughs> he adds a lot of color to her world. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Bouncer in a, a strip club for real. That there's some stories there for, you know, for sure. Uh, so, and then tell me a little bit about Samantha 
and, and her story. Um, Samantha is a young prosecutor in Portland and she, uh, she's not in the major, like when you first meet her, she's not handling major crimes cases yet. She works in the drug and vice division, mostly doing drug cases, but also works on prostitution cases. And she's brought in by the police department when one of the more senior prosecutors declines a case involving an assault of a teenage prostitute. And she kind of takes it, she takes it and goes rogue. Um, so she's always, she's, you know, she's always the one kind of butting heads with people at work. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, and that, that makes for the tension. That makes for the, uh, that makes for the great B plot and the obstacles that she has to overcome, you know, for sure. So, uh, but you've also written elsewhere, uh, and not elsewhere, but other, you've also written in the mystery genre as well. Yes. So I have, uh, my new book is called find me. Um, that's my sixth standalone. Um, it's my sixth standalone novels, but even the standalone novels, um, they all feature the, the main characters, um, are not necessarily in law enforcement, but they're told in the third person. So, there's always a cop on the page. <laughs> so you see their perspective. Nice. That's good. And, um, uh, it makes for an interesting, uh, interplay between, um, your protagonist and the cop, you know, and I can just, it's not stereotypical either, but you know, because everybody's different and, but it keeps the, it keeps the plot line moving, uh, through the eyes of both your protagonist and the way a policeman would see it or a police officer would see it. So am I, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think a, a lot of the uh, nice contrast in the, in the standalone books is, so for example, in find me, um, the main character is, uh, it's two women and one, they're best friends and one of them goes missing and the other one is looking for her. But so you see her searching for her friend, but then, um, you also have chapters showing the police officer who knows things that she doesn't know. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, it, it creates a, a nice tension. Nice. Okay. Mm. So, um, because I, um, just dipping my toe into a cozy mystery and, uh, the amateur sleuth is not necessarily butting heads with, uh, the local constabulary, but, uh, it makes for a very interesting way of, uh, trans, um, uh, transitioning, uh, narrative via dialogue, uh, between two, you know, pretty headstrong people. Does that make sense? What I just said? Yeah. yeah okay. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah. So, uh, now uh, we couldn't, uh, finish the interview without circling back to somebody that you read that now you had a chance to collaborate with, and that would be uh, Mary Higgins Clark. So can you tell me how that all came about and what that story is? I, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it's still a little surreal. I mean, I, I can't remember what year it would have been, maybe eight years ago, I guess. Um, but I mean, this is where you have to switch points of view since as a first person narrator, I am now telling you things that I was not actually privy to. Okay. <laughs> she, she had a book called, um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, I've got you under my skin and um, it had a character in it who is the host of a true crime television show that reenacts unsolved crimes and talks to all of the key actors and you know uh, kind of that 
journalism slash entertainment kind of TV. Um, and she and the publisher thought that it had the potential to spin off as um, an ongoing series. But Mary traditionally writes standalones, not series novels. So um, if she was going to be writing two books a year, they thought that if they paired her with a collaborator, it would make it more plausible. <clears throat> So that's when I got the phone call of, hey, would you be interested in having lunch with Mary Gibbs Clark to talk about possibly writing together? <laughs> so I don't know how they came up with my name, but of course, that was the easiest uh, lunch acceptance I have ever given. Um, and, you know, we wound up spending half the day together kind of just talking about where we get ideas. And I think the thing that really, if I had to guess, you'd have to ask her, but I, I think what made it feel like a good fit is we both we don't start with plot. We start with characters. We just kind of talk through what makes a character interesting and then try to find a storyline that kind of plays into those personality traits or, or demons or secrets or, or whatever it is or soft spots um, <clears throat> and finding the plot through character. And I think we kind of clicked talking about that. So, you know, she said, should we try a couple of chapters together? I said, sure, let's see how it goes. We had, and then, we wound up signing a contract together to write first just one book and then two more and then two more and then two more. So, um, oh. I know. So we, we wrote six books together before, you know, she passed a couple of years ago. Um, she had impeccable timing. Um, she exited in late January of 2020 <laughs> before mm. the world ended. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. She, she at the age of 92, of I believe. I think she was 92. I believe that's yeah. right. 92 and she was still with it at the end oh yeah i spoke yeah. to her t a few days before that she was still sending me pages so um yeah we so i finished that book alone which was you know we had were mostly done but um that that was a little strange but um i'm glad that she trusted me to to see that one through <clears throat> wow that's that's a great story uh, that's a really great story so uh, since then, uh, you you returned returned to writing on your own, and you said "Find Me" is the most recent one. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tell tell us a, a little bit about "Find Me" again, just so that I, I I know the like the basic synopsis on it. Yeah, yeah. Find Me. Um. So Hope Miller is um a woman who lives in a small town in New Jersey, and fifteen years ago she showed up in this small town in an overturned SUV, uh, with no idea who she was or how she got there. Um, or why she was in a stolen um, SUV. And they told her, I'm sure you'll get your memories back within days or weeks. This is normal for the level of head injury you had. Um, and she never gets it back. So she's one of these people who's, and it, it has happened, that there are people of long-term amnesia who have no idea who they actually are, and they just have to start life anew. So she has started life anew. It's been 15 years. She's got a good life going um, and then she moves to East Hampton to get a fresh start and then she disappears. So her best friend, Lindsay has to go looking for her. Um, and some people seem to doubt, maybe they thought hope just got sick of it and started over somewhere else, but Lindsay believes something's really wrong. So she goes looking for her best friend, which involves having to, you know, maybe kind of figure out where she came from in the first place. Mm. It's a pretty, it's a twisty little mystery with lots and lots of, uh, surprises in it, and then Ellie Hatcher turns up too. Oh, really? Said, Does a little uh, cameo, yeah. or more yeah, than a, a cameo? More though, little more than cameo. I wouldn't. She's not the main character, but you know, I said even my uh, suspense standalones always have a 
you know, somebody in law enforcement's point of view. And so Allie's there. Now, is she still on the department? Is she still, uh, or is she retired at this point? I mean, because, you know, no, are, do, do you, she's, okay. she's still a cop. Yeah. Okay. But I don't want to give too much away. No, but, no, um, no, no. She gets involved. Okay. So where can um, people find it? There are favorite bookstores anywhere. It's also on um, audio. It's in on e-readers. It's in hardback. Um, I'll be doing a couple of in-person events, supposedly, if we don't get shut down. Um, th- those are all on my website at www.alifairburke.com. Um, and it's out January 11th. That's fantastic. And uh, that's a wonderful. Uh, and uh, and when we say j- uh, January 11th, it, it, it'll be in the past tense. It'll, yes. <laughs> because <laughs> cause we, we air. I was uh, wondering that. Yeah. It's in stores now. That's what I meant to say. It's yeah. in stores now. <laughs> you can pre- uh, It is in stores now. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on. This was a blast. Uh, Thanks for having me. Oh, and most importantly, I mean, this was a wonderful interview, but you were so patient. While on my end, the tech gremlins ate up my computer and we had to get things straightened <laughs> out. And you were saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I know. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, hello. <laughs> and I'm texting you back saying, you sound fine. You sound great. And of course, you, you couldn't hear me. <clears throat> and you know what it was? It was simply rebooting my computer. Oh, yeah, that's funny how that. Yeah, funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. I had to call my producer up and said, "Chris, Chris, what's going on?" And he says, eh, "Reboot your computer." So I want to thank you for your patience on the, on the front end of this, and it was really nice to have you on. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. All right, thanks. Thanks again. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and you as well. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Our guest next week is James Ziskin. James is the author of the Anthony and McCavity award-winning Ellie Stone Mysteries. His books have also been finalists for the Edgar, the Barry, and Lefty Awards. A linguist by training, he studied romance languages and literature at the University of Pennsylvania. After completing his graduate degree, he worked in New York as a photo news producer and writer, then as a director of New York University's Casa Italiano. He spent 15 years in Hollywood post-production industry running large international operations in the subtitling and localization and visual effects fields. His international experience includes two years working and studying in France, extensive time in Italy, and more than three years in India. He speaks Italian and French. James lives near Boston. This is going to be a great interview. We're going to have a lot of fun. This episode was brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, six-book series, and my upcoming Gwendolyn Strong Small Town Cozy Mystery Series. To learn more, go to www.johnhoda.com, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com, and join my email list. Liberty City Nights, my Marsha O'Shea prequel novella, is available to my subscribers there for free. 